<clears throat> Good morning, all 20 of you, 20 of you. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, June 26th, if that means anything in our Gregorian calendar. It doesn't. But here we are, and it's another Sunday fun day here at the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Marty Leeds. You can get the podcast at GnosticAcademy.org. You can get it at, I don't know, Spotify and iTunes, Apple Music, Podbean, all that sort of thing. Um, uh, I started this podcast out basically, you know, restarting a podcast, so I have to grow a whole new audience. So I've only got about a hundred people that are downloading the podcast, but that's good. That's a good start. So, um, so anyway, so you can, if you want to just listen to this, uh, at your leisure at home on your little iPod thingy on your phone, whatever you can, uh, welcome everybody. So we missed last week, uh, because I was supposed to go and marry somebody, uh, actually two people. Well, obviously that's, it takes two people to marry a man and woman, but I I was going to marry two couples. And um, so one of them didn't work out, unfortunately. <laughs> so I got to marry uh, a couple over Zoom. Uh, so congratulations to William and Elizabeth. It was a beautiful wedding. Um, really enjoyed doing that service. It was really nice. And then the other one, we ended up not going down to Missouri because they ended up pulling the plug. So um, and these things happen, you know. It's better than it's better than to go through with it and then marry the wrong man or woman or you know whatever it is. So. So right now I'm batting um, um, one for two. I'm batting I'm batting five hundred in the MLB. I'm not too bad, but you know in the marriage world that's not good stats. Okay, so today what are we going to do today? Oh, by the way, first off, welcome to Sunday service. You can get this service nine o'clock uh, Central Standard Time every Sunday, except last Sunday. Um, moving forward though, every Sunday. So today we're going to talk about Mark chapter twelve. The stone, the builders rejected. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, But before we do that, let's do a prayer. Heavenly Father, please give me the grace to accept correction when others exhort me. Help me to be grateful for it and listen to their exhortation. Give me courage and grace to exhort others as well. Let me only ever do it in love and not for selfish gain. You soften hearts and reveal the evil in us. Give us eyes to see our sin and hearts to turn from our wicked ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I think my good bud Ange over there sent me that one. So thank you, Ange. A pretty good one. Okay, so today we're going to talk about, like I said, Mark chapter 12. I don't know if this will be too long. I guess we'll see when I get ranting and raving. We'll see how <laughs> see, see what happens. We're not going to talk a lot of... no. I, I don't even think any gematria today, no astrology today, barely... Um, Really, any but no star correlations today. We're basically we're just going to cut through this uh, chapter, and then the next chapter as well goes into some of the themes that are that are discussed in this one. So chapter thirteen is is pretty, um, as we like to say here at the the Leeds household, it's meaty, it's meaty and delicious. There's a lot of meat there to chew on. So uh, let's do it. So chapter one today, and let's get into it. So this is Mark chapter twelve, number one, and he began to speak unto them. By parables, of course, this is Jesus speaking, and we're going to we're going to find out what this parable is all about, and it's a good one. It's one of the one of the damn good parables that, that Jesus told everybody. So here's the parable: A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went to a far country. So what happened? This guy built this pretty fat winery, is what he did, vineyard right? 
built a winery, he's got a tower, he's got a hedgerow around it, really, you know, kept good care of it, and then let it out to somebody, lent it out to somebody, husbandman, and then went away. And at the season, he went to the husbandman, and uh, he sent to the husbandman, so this guy sent a husbandman to a, serv a servant, that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. So he's going to go, I'm going to send this guy, he's like, hey, give us the fruit, I gave you this, all I'm asking for is the fruit back. That's it. And they caught him. They caught this servant, the people that now own the vineyard, and they beat the hell out of him. And they beat him and sent him away empty. And so the guy that originally made the vineyard, again, he sent unto them another servant, and at them they cast stones and wounded, wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and they and, and uh, him killed. They killed and many others, beating some and killing some. So basically, this guy built this beautiful vineyard, gave it to somebody. Then the guy's like, "Hey, I just want to go collect. Just want some fruit. Just want maybe a bottle of wine or two. Maybe some, uh, you know, a satchel of grapes. You could give me." And what happens? Every servant he sends over there, they beat the shit out of him. They kill him, stone him. First off, notice it says. Uh, um, and dig the place for the wine fat. What is a wine fat? It's um, just so you guys know, it is here used. However, the whole it's an apparatus to make wine. It's basically the juice of the grapes ran from the trough above it, and so this is a place where he made he made wine. Okay, so nice place. So <clears throat> send him servants, beating the hell out of this guy, kill him, stone him. Having yet therefore one son, so this this guy that made the vineyard, he had this one son though his well-beloved son, he sent him also last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. They'll revere this guy. Okay, I get it. Everybody I sent before, they're just like, oh, you're not worthy to take the fruit and blah, 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 blah. We'll kill you, through, you know, cast you away, throw stones at you, blah, 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 blah. But the one, this guy's like, well, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son down. It's, it's like almost like this story sounding familiar, isn't it? Like God sent his only begotten son to a place that was all screwed up, that people weren't following the laws. Something like that. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. So they knew that this guy was the heir, that he was the rightful owner of this vineyard, and they're like, Ooh, maybe we can maybe we can kill this guy and then we'll take the vineyard. Then it'll be ours. We'll just negate natural law and all morality and the fact that we were given something and then not owning up to it. Ah, we'll just kill everybody that tries to take it from us. I wonder who this, I, you know, I just wonder who, what this parable is talking about. Who, who, like, what are they mentioning? Who are they mentioning in this parable? Hmm, I wonder. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. So this was his precious son, his only heir. And he's like, oh, they'll revere him. And what did they do? They killed him. Like, I mean, like Jesus on the cross, like, you know, they sent, he sent his only begotten son that the certain people were supposed to be like, yeah, of course, this is the this is the dude, this is this guy's the truth and stuff. And then what, what happened? They couldn't handle that, so they killed him. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? What else is he going to do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. And then it says this. I'll just read a few more lines and then we'll go back and we'll pick some of this apart. Okay. It says, and have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. So let me stop here a second. So here's the 10th line of Mark chapter 12, okay? We're given a parable. And it's, it's the first thing he says. This is a parable, okay? So this is a story that's meant to have deeper meanings 
symbolism, allegories, the whole kit and caboodle, right? So the first thing he says is this is, this is a parable. And then he goes on and say in the parable, makes a vineyard. It's a vineyard, but like growing grapes and, um, you know, that's farming work, correct? Correct? Yes. So then he plants hedgerows and makes the tower and it's like going to make all the wine and stuff like that. And then they sent them, the servants, and next thing you know, all of a sudden, chapter, of, or, or, excuse me, verse 10 here, and have you not read this scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. All of a sudden, in the middle of this parable, line 10, they give you a Masonic reference out of nowhere, apropos of nothing for no reason whatsoever. Why? We'll find out. Let's read on. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that they had spoken the parable against them. So these people, while Jesus is talking to them, they knew that Jesus was speaking to them. And they're like, oh, we want to lay hold on him. What lay hold on him? What were they going to do then? Kill him? Kill Jesus? Right? Why else would you lay hold on somebody? To beat the hell out of him, to kill him, just like they did. But they couldn't do that, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And they knew that the people realized that, once again, as we know, that John was a prophet and all that sort of thing. So, they knew the parable was against them. So, and we know this further, that, who is them? Who is them in this parable? Who is Jesus speaking about in this parable? Jews, Israel, that's who he's speaking about. He's saying God came down, gave Moses on high, gave him the, and, you know, basically gave him the law, the way, that sort of thing. Now we hear Jesus, just as we saw in the last chapter, if you guys remember chapter 11, and actually throughout um, a lot of the chapters, we see that Jesus is condemning the Jews, condemning the Pharisees, condemning the Israelites all day long, the scribes, condemning them, saying, you never followed that. None of you ever followed that way. You followed the vain traditions of men. You, you, uh, you, um, what do you even say? You reasoned with yourselves, your narcissistic, self-righteous selves. You looked to your own scribbles and your scribes, and you followed the traditions of men as opposed to following the laws of God. And anytime somebody went along to try to call you on that, what, what happened? Well, you stoned him. You killed him. You sent him away. You took which wasn't yours in the first place and claimed it as your own. It all belongs to God, as we'll see in, in, when we get out of this chapter. So here we have um, the vineyard. We actually know that this is that Jesus is specifically speaking about the Jews and the scribes and the Pharisees because of this. The story is reflected in uh, the twenty-first chapter of, of Matthew, where it says, um, "You know, well, when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They will say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let him out of his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Shall render him the fruits of the seasons." And Jesus saith unto them, "Did ye never read in the scriptures?" The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay? Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of heaven shall be, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and given to a nation, bringeth forth the fruits thereof. Who's the nation? Well, just as we saw in the last chapter, 
What did the fig tree represent? Jesus comes along. They left the house of Bethany. They were hungry. They saw, ooh, there's a fig tree there. Let's see if it's got some fruit. Jesus comes up to the fig tree and he's like, oh, screw this thing. This thing is cursed forevermore. This thing is not going to bear any fruit ever again. In the afterlife, in this life, forget. This thing is done. And Jesus said unto them, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. They heard the word. They understood what he was saying. They come along and Jesus sees this fig tree and he's like, This shit is cursed to, to infinity. Ever after this fuck, pardon my language, this freaking thing is cursed. Cursed. What did the fig tree represent? Israel. Fig trees often represent the Lord's blessing in the nation of Israel. Israel had produced no fruit during Jesus' ministry. What he's saying when he comes along and basically is talking about the vineyard, he's saying God gave a bunch of the, the law to Moses, right? And all the Jews that followed Moses, none of them actually followed the law as it should be understood. He's essentially, when he's cursing the fig tree, he's cursing Jews and cursing the nation of Israel. Now, <clears throat> fig tree symbolism, uh, the fig tree is a biblical symbol of Israel. It's, there's not even, it's not even a contentious thing. There's not even a question about this. Why did Jesus come and curse the fig tree? Because it represents Israel. You're all cursed. Now we're back in this new chapter, in chapter 12, and here he is doing it again. I'm going to give you a parable, everybody. Man came down and gave people a bunch of stuff, all of this beautiful, the vineyard and the wine and the fruits from the wine and the land and said, hey, I'm just going to come back and you, you're going to have to own up. You're, you're going to have to share those fruits. And what did they do? <laughs> now it's mine. <laughs> it's mine. This is all mine. Possessed. 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 Satanic. Possessed. They possessed it. Mine, 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 mine. So that's what they did. So what is the parable here? Knowledge and wisdom is given to, um, right, Moses. Moses passes that info, that information on. And what did the Jews do? They took possession of it like it's ours. Mine, 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 mine. And anybody that tried to come and say, well, no, actually, everything is owned by God. We'll get into that. What did they do? They beat them. They killed them. They cast stones. They wounded them in the head. They didn't share any of their fruits, even with the person that they owed fruits to. <clears throat> you know it's you know it's crazy. Like when you actually understand Jesus's message, it's anti-Semitic. I mean, in, in the terms of how we understand that term in modern-day vernacular, which is a bunch of honky bullshit, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, Semitic is a branch of language, includes like all these other, so that's not even a correct word, anti-Semitic, but basically what if we saw again and again, chapter after chapter, Jesus calling out the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, why I always say that this is, uh, the, the Holy Bible is such, uh, the, we have to read it correctly. We have to understand it correctly. We have to be adult with it. It's because this is a timeless book. I've said it how many times. 
What's going on in that story right there? That parable is happening right freaking now. Right now. That parable is happening. You read that shit like it's 2,000 years old or I'm reading this story in history. You miss everything. And that's unfortunate. Jesus is calling out the very people that own our finance and own Disney and are pushing LGBTQ abortion, this, you know, that. All of these things in our world that are corrupting our traditions and our heritage and are basically just our basic pursuit of happiness in the world is all caused by a fig tree. And some people that stole a vineyard. The book is meant to be read and meant to be understood. And when you understand it, you're meant to take that knowledge into the world and shine the light. So that's the vineyard. The vineyard is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Jews. That's what the vineyard is talking about. It's not, even, it's not even a question. What was the last chapter? Curse this fig tree. What does the fig tree represent? I don't know. Look at the rest of the Bible. Israel all day long. Ask any rabbi. Ask any biblical scholar. Jesus is calling out left, right, up, down, and center. All day freaking long, 111%, the very people that are destroying our world. So take up your cross and follow them. And call that shit out. They rejected him though, didn't they? They rejected Christ, as we know. Now, what's going to actually happen, as you know? Well, the, as it says, what shall happen to this vineyard? Well, the Lord's going to come and destroy him. Because guess who's in charge? Always. God. Period. All of that is a test of morality. I'm going to give you this beautiful vineyard. It's going to have the wine fat and the towel. It's going to have a hedge and you're going to get the fruits and the wine and everything like that. And it's going to have at it. But when you want to share that fruit, what did you do? Oh, you took immorality and you punched it. You know, pedal to the freaking metal. You were doing a 280 miles an hour down the highway. Your immorality was just burning, car, you know, the carburetors. And anyway, you get it. So... <laughs> sorry so they rejected christ so the, the, the lord god's in charge all right you don't follow if you don't follow my laws eventually i'm just gonna wipe you out just so you guys know i'm in charge here so but this is a test of morality so i brought you the truth i, br I brought you the light i brought you christ himself right in front of you and what'd you do Oh, have you, you know, well, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. You rejected him. Now, what's the stone? As I said, in the middle of this parable about a vineyard and wine and, and, and fruits and, and stoning people and that sort of stuff, all of a sudden, ploop, all of a sudden there's a Masonic reference. What? <laughs> Why? Well, because they're ultimately talking about building the temple up. Ultimately. What is the stone? What is the cornerstone? The stone that the builders rejected. According to an online source, um, this is from my book, it says, uh, since ancient times, builders have used cornerstones in their construction projects. A cornerstone was the principal stone usually placed at the corner of an edifice to guide the workers in their course. 
The cornerstone was usually one of the largest, the most solid, and the most carefully constructed of any in the edifice. The Bible describes Jesus as the cornerstone that his church would be built upon. Uh, he, is found, he is foundational. Once the cornerstone was set, it became the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining construction. So once the cornerstone is set, you use this as a template, as like a fractal, to, to understand the rest of the building. That's the symbolism of it. That's what's understood, even like in architecturally, generally, that was the idea. Everything was aligned to it. It's foundational. Once the cornerstone's set, everything becomes the basis of understanding the entire building. Whoop, you go to that stone. What is Jesus? He's the cornerstone. What does he represent? You go to him as the foundation to understand everything else in the building of this world, the construction of this world, the temple, your temple, the temple of the world. As the cornerstone of the building of the church, Jesus is our standard of the measure and alignment. In other words, when he brings, and he brings a Masonic reference to this, immediately he's given a parable and brings a Masonic reference. Haven't you read the scripture? Haven't you read the stone that the builders rejected? Right? Um, <clears throat> the cornerstone is the stone which lies at the corner of two walls and forms the corner of the foundation of an edifice. As the foundation on which the entire structure is supposed to rest, it is considered by operative masons as the most important stone in the edifice. It is laid with impressive ceremonies. The cornerstone does not appear to have been adopted by any of the heathen nations, um, which is actually not true, but to have been an Eden Pina, peculiar to the Jews, from whom it descended to the Christians. And hence the even um, evangelists uh, constantly use it in reference to Christ, who is called the chief cornerstone. In Masonic symbolism, it signifies a true Mason. So um, so here, the, the, the stone that's rejected becomes the keystone to all the alignments, all the measurements, you understand the whole thing. And what Jesus is saying is, that was brought to you guys, Israelites, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the Jews. It was brought to you guys, and you rejected it. In order to understand the rest of the measurements and how it's all put together, and it's the strongest piece of the building, all of that, the entire building, the edifice, of that building is going to completely crumble down to the ground if you do not have that cornerstone. That's the point. Jesus is saying the cornerstone came, the light, the truth, the entire measurement, everything's based on it, and you rejected it, which means what's going to happen to your house of cards? That shit going to crumble. Your temple, your building, your synagogue is going to fall. You know, what's so frustrating over the years of, of doing this is that this is what you'll learn in masonry. This is the kind of stuff. This is why masons talk about the stones so much. They're referring directly to Christ. I just saw, um, and it, it actually got me angry because I saw Red Ice, and I love Red Ice, don't get me wrong, but. They posted this thing in their Telegram group, and it said that Judaism is just, just, uh, or uh, Masonry is just Judaism for Gentiles. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, first off, do some study, like, get, take some time to actually learn the stuff. But then I made the point that you know that the main missing, the main myth in Masonry, I've talked about this before, is three ruffians came and killed the guy that was building Solomon's temple. His name is Hiram Abiff. It's a Hiram. It's a high ram, a biff, and he was building Solomon's temple. We know what Solomon's temple is, right? It's the, it's the temple that's going to build, that's going to house the Lord. 
What is that temple? That's your temple. That's what Solomon was building. That's what Hiram Abiff, the master architect of Solomon's temple, was building. He was building up his own temple. Three ruffians came along. This is the myth, the main myth of masonry. Three ruffians came along, and they were called Jubala, Jubello, and Jubalum. And they were collectively known as the Jews. J-U-W-E-S. This is the main myth of masonry. To tell you about the immorality of three dudes. And they were all named Jews. And they're collectively known as the Jews. And they went and killed the guy that was building Solomon's temple, which is your temple, which is to house the Lord. But let's all shit on masonry. That's what we should do. When they were calling the very people that you're calling out. Masonry was holding on to this stuff. This is why I have no no place in the truth or community anymore. I've got nowhere to go because I spout this stuff because I tell the truth and a bunch of people can't handle it. Oh, well. <clears throat> this comes from the Masonic Encyclopedia. Did you ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. It is an expression borrowed from Masons. Where, where That's where it comes from. So when you read the Bible and you're reading this thing, it's in Psalms, we read it in Matthew, we're in Mark here, and it's talking about this one specific phrase. It's a phrase that comes from Masonry. The Bible is explicitly, directly, expressly telling you about the tradition of Masonry. And I don't know of a single Christian that even understands that. It is an expression borrowed from Masons who finding a stone which being tried in a particular place <clears throat> sorry got off and appearing improper for it it is thrown aside and another taken however at last it may happen that the very stone which had been rejected may be found to be the most suitable as the headstone of the corner and so it's an old expression being like ah this stone it's a, ah this isn't good now we're going to set this one over here. And then you get to the pinnacle. You get to the apex. You get to the most important thing. And then you look over and you're like, oh, shit. It's that stone that we rejected. That It was there the whole time. That's a Masonic term. Smack dab in the Bible. Right from the mouth of Christ. <clears throat> this is precisely the symbolism of the Mark Master of Fourth Right, uh, Fourth Degree. As a consolation under all the frowns of fortune and as an encouragement to hope for better prospects. What is the moral of the, 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 the stone being rejected? Oh, you, oh you, you cast out, you cast out. Well, if you just constantly think that you're, that you're that stone that's just cast out, you're no good. You're just a runt. Just get out of here. Well, if you envelop that in your life, then you can be, that's what you're going to be. Oh, I'm just a lowly little character. I'm just a rough, rough little ashlar stone. Nobody likes me. Really? What's inside you? Oh, maybe, maybe you're fit to be the cornerstone. Maybe Christ is in you. Maybe it's the gift of the Gentiles to have Christ within you. It reminds me of, uh, remember, Sword in the Stone? It's the exact story. It's a sword in the stone. It's a sword. He's got the Word of God, which is the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's pulling from a stone, right? And what was he? Well, he was the little helper boy. He was the janitor. He was, they called him the runt, didn't they? I think it was called the runt in the movie. This King Arthur, Sword of the Stone, right? And remember, 
he was the one that all cast out. It's like, no, you'll you'll clean up the dishes, and and all of a sudden, you, you know, you you'll be you're not fit for this, right? Who's who's fit to pull pull the sword? Who's gonna pull the sword from the stone? Sir Kay'll do it. Sir Kay can pull it. He's the he's the warrior. He's the knight. He's the first son of my lineage. He's the one that's going to you know inherit the kingdom. He's the manly one. Nope. It was the runt. He pulled the sword from the stone. Where Mason's telling you. As a consolation under all the frowns of fortune and as an encouragement to hope for better prospects. Rejected, rejected, cast out, cast out. Don't worry. Don't worry. Because maybe you're the head of this, the corner. <laughs> maybe you're the headstone. You're the cornerstone. <clears throat> so that's what that is. Right in the middle of that parable, all of a sudden, bam, you got some, hey, let's, let's read some scripture here, right? The cornerstone. The symbolism of the cornerstone when duly laid, by the way, you're really not going to understand the true, the, the absolutely esoteric meaning of, of the cornerstone unless you study masonry. And that's why none of these Christians understand it. The symbolism of the cornerstone when duly laid with Masonic rites is full of significance, which refers to its form, to its situation, to its permanence, and to its consecration. So that cornerstone, it it's refers to it. The form of the cornerstone, the place where it's placed, its permanence, its, you know, its consecration. Consecration means sacredness. As to its form, as to the form of this cornerstone, it must be perfectly square on its surfaces. And in, it, in its solid contents, a cube. As to its form, as to the form of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, the very thing that they rejected. Remember? So they're saying, oh, uh, oh, wrong one. And you've not read this scripture? The stone which you guys rejected has become the head of the corner. We even see, um, let's see if I have this here. Oh, I think I lost it. Anyway. You rejected this cube, this perfect cube that represents Christ. And we say, well, wait a second. Are we talking about Kabbalah now? <clears throat> By the way, this cipher here, that's based on the knowledge of a cornerstone. That's one, two, three, four, five, six sides resting on a seven, seventh point. That's what that entire cipher is based on. So here we have Jesus being referenced as a cube. This is what, I mean, this is what the, it's like, so Jesus is referenced as the cornerstone. You rejected him. The Masons are coming along saying, hey, in this ancient tradition, to this form, it must be perfectly square on its surfaces and its solid contents, a cube. Now the square is a symbol of morality and the cube of truth. This comes from Masonry. This, the cube is a symbol of truth. And why did the Jews re re reject it? Because they couldn't handle their Messiah. The permanence and durability of the cornerstone, which lasts long after the building, in whose foundation it was placed, has fallen into decay. It is intended to remind the Mason that when this earthly house of his tabernacle shall have passed away, he has within him a sure foundation of eternal life, a cornerstone of immorality, an emanation from the divine spirit, which pervades all nature, and which therefore must survive the tomb and rise triumphant and eternal above the decaying dust of death and of the grave. 
You are the cornerstone. You. You are made in the image of God. You have Christ within you. He's above all, through all, within you. Beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. It is the gift of the Gentiles to have Christ within you. Christ is all around you. We are in the incarnation of Christ. There's nowhere where you can go where he ain't. So then we say, oh, that all comes down to this one thing, this cube, this, this symbol. And what does that cube point to? You. So here we have, then we, as we mentioned in the last couple of live streams, what, what is the city of God? It's a cube. And the city lies, this is Revelation 21, 16, and the city lieth four square, and the length as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Length, breadth, height e being equal, referenced what? By a four square. It's a cube. So when we understand the city of God is a cube, we understand Jesus Christ is a cube. We understand that the city, that this cube represents you, represents Christ within you. Then we go back to this story of those damn Pharisees and scribes. And what did they say? What did Christ say to them? Oh yeah, you, re you rejected all of that. You rejected it all. The very essence of your religion and all religions, you rejected it, claimed it as your own, kept it from other people, Cursed other people when they went in, try to find it, as we as we we could read in Matthew, right? It's like, oh, not only did you prevent, not only did you curse people from going in, you prevented people from going within. It says something like that. I'm paraphrasing. <clears throat> you have the ability to pull the sword from the stone. City of God is a cube. Then it goes on to Revelation and say this. And the building of the wall of this city, this beautiful city, which is a cube. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. This city was pure gold. What is gold? It's the light of the sun, light of truth. Gold is always a, a number of, uh, or excuse me, um, considered a knowledge, wisdom, light, that sort of thing. It's the color of the sun. Gold is considered an incorruptible metal. Okay, so the so the, the the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Here we are back to stones. The city was pure gold. It's like unto clear glass. The first foundation was jasper. The second sapphire. The third chalcedony. The fourth an emerald. The fifth sardonyx. The sixth sardius. The seventh chrysolite. The eighth beryl. The ninth a topaz. The tenth uh, chrysoprus. Chrysoprasus? I'm sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. I apologize. The 11th, a jacinth. I'm saying that correctly too. The 12th, an amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12, 12 pearls and every several gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold and as it were transparent glass. You're given 12 precious stones around a city made of gold in Revelation. So here it tells you about the city of God, which is a cube. And describes it as a cube. Then we go into, you know, what Jesus is saying is like, oh, you rejected the city of God. You rejected the cube. You prevented people from going within. You said, me, 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 right? And all of that, right, is, is, I mean, this is the foundation of Christ. This is the light. This is the truth. You rejected all of it. 
Now we go and look at those 12 precious stones and that city made of gold, which gold is a stone, of course, right? And we we use that, that um, we got some more, uh, we, we use the Kabbalistic cipher here, Gematria cipher, which is based on a cube on those stones, which are around a cube. And we look at the Gematria value of those precious stones, gold, jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprasus, as I say that, jacinth, and amethyst. And that equals 365. This is the city of God, made of gold. Gold is the light of the sun. And then we, we do this um, Kabbalistic cipher here, Gematria cipher to these stones, and it gives you the 365 days of the solar year. <clears throat> Must be some of that, more of that secret decoder ring theology they've been talking about, huh? So, what else does the stone represent? The stone represents the philosopher's stone, guys. All of this stuff is leading to the same place. Where's the leading? Christ. Where's that leading? You. All of it. City of God. Everything that we've covered thus far. Every line, every chapter, every parable. Where's it leading? You. What is the cube? As an initiate to the mysteries who has done their due diligence with their studies of the occult and the esoteric, and that's really that's really the, the one of the main issues if, in, in our world is that people's not only their inability to actually go and study this information and be adult with it, be honest with it, but they're scared shitless to do that for some reason. They think that they're going to be running into the hands of the devil or whatever. It's like, no, it's trying to get you to understand your your religion and what this stuff means most of the, the christians have just threw their hands up and be like they just go running away from this stuff that's weakness god it literally said god's like fear nothing it says fear not what 365 i think 365 times in the bible it says fear not and then we have a bunch of christians a bunch of people in the world truth seekers that are just scared shitless of this stuff they're scared shitless of understanding their own religion, their own world, their own relationship to God, what this stuff means, math. Any initiate to the mysteries who has done their due diligence with their studies of the occult and esoteric cannot miss the obvious connection to the Kaaba cube and the ever sought after mythical philosopher's stone. Mention uh, the philosopher's stone, what is also known as the alchemical lapis, is described in once again the Encyclopedia uh, Freemasonry as it was the doctrine of the alchemist that there was a certain mineral, the discovery of which was the object of their art, because being mixed with the baser metals, it would transmute these into gold, like the city of God. This mineral, known only to the adepts, they call the lapis philosophorum, or the philosopher's stone. What were the alchemists searching for? Do you know how many of those old alchemical manuscripts are Christian? Christian mysticism. Go ahead, read them. Don't trust me. Go read them. Challenge yourself. All of those old alchemists that a lot of people think they're like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't know. The devil worshipers or something like that. They're all pointing to Christ. 
And they're heralding what? The Philosopher's Stone. <clears throat> There's a book called The Teachings of the Rosicrucian. And uh, this is a great little book, too. It's actually in one of these books I have here. In the text, The Teachings of the Rosicrucians, a simple ABC booklet for young students. It is declared that this is what the Rosicrucians were saying. The Almighty, all one wise and omniscient God and Lord hath given understanding to man above all other creatures so that he may know his works and not leave them unexplored so that you can know and understand the works of God. Now, since this man um, whom the all wise God hath inspired thereto hath his high and profound secret, the secret work and the great secret of the ancient water stone of the wise. He must prove himself aright. Who do you have to prove yourself aright to? Me? Your parents? The government? Who do you have to prove yourself to? Anybody in this world? Do you think I give two shits about what anybody thinks about me? No. I care about what God thinks. Rosicrucians, alchemists, uh, the, the true esoteric Christians, they're going for the truth. They're going to that cornerstone of truth and nothing is going to stop them. They're going to have zero fear in going towards it. And they don't care what anybody thinks and they're not looking to prove themselves to anybody. They're not looking to get an attaboy on the back or make a million dollars to get that damn red carpet rolled out for them. They're not looking for any of it. They want truth. They want purity. They want righteousness. They want virtue. They want that water stone of the wise. But in order to do that, you must prove yourself aright. If ever there is a natural thing on earth, it is the preparation of the magisterium of the philosopher's stone. The most natural thing on earth for the human being is to undergo this process, the preparation of your temple, your house, so that God will someday go whoop and drop in like the dove. It's the most, according to those Rosicrucians who are teaching their young students this, the ABCs, it's the most natural thing on earth. In other words, your process towards salvation is a natural process, quintessential to the natural processes of this earth. I would absolutely agree. It's not of man's making. That's the next thing it says. If there ever, if ever there is a natural thing on earth, it is the preparation of the magisterium of the philosopher's stone, natural, and not of man's making, but wholly the work of nature, for the artist adds nothing thereto. What is that line? It's like, if you could add one cubit to the stature of God kind of thing, you can't, you know, you can't. That's the kind of thing. It's already laid out for you. The great work, the path, everything. Creation's done. In other words, the only thing you have to do is figure it out. Make yourself a right. Learn. Get on, that, get on that path. That's what the Philosopher's Stone is all about. The Philosopher's Stone is Lord Jesus Christ. Wrote a whole book on it. Okay. Let's keep going. So then it says this. Um, in this, it says, This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And he's, and he's, this is a, a, a statement in Psalms, and then it's made a question mark in Mark, and it's made a question mark in uh, Matthew, or yeah, we're in Mark, in Matthew, it does the same thing. It says this, I'll, I'll read this here, so this, I'll read this again. So after he says the parable, let's go back here, I'm sorry, I don't want to be all over the place. 
Let's just read properly. So here we have the vineyard, casting the stones. Lord's like, oh, well, I'm going to, Lord of the vineyard, is what he's going to do? I'm going to come and destroy it and give it to other people that are actually going to understand that it's sacred, right? Then he says, hey, the stone of the builder uh, is rejected, become the head of the corner. The builders, by the way, are understood to be the scribes, scribes and the Pharisees. That's, that's who it is. So, um, so there's 10. And if not, have you not read this scripture? The stone, which the builders rejected, has become the head of the corner. And the next thing it says is this. It says this. It says, this was the Lord's doing, comma, and it is marvelous in our eyes, question mark. And it says that in, in, in Matthew as well. It says the same thing. So what is the meaning of this? So what does Mark 12, 11 mean when it says, this is, this is wonder, this is, uh, what does he exactly say? I'm sorry. It says, this is uh, marvelous in our eyes. Marvelous, wonderful in our eyes. This continues a quote from the Septuagint, which, is the, which means 70. It's more math. They named a holy book and they called it 70, but math probably doesn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> Version of Paul. Psalms 118.22. It describes how the people reacted to God's providence in taking a stone that was rejected for the construction of the temple sanctuary and making it essential for the temple porch. This is an example, once again, read what read this. This is like your classic literalist Christian that can't make sense of this, but is like, this is this is their response. This is an example of a literal historical event having symbolic meaning. Or or it's just a story, and in that story is all of these deeper meanings. They don't understand any of these deeper meanings. So then it says the stone in Judaism represents Abraham, David, or the Messiah. Some thought the builders represents the scribes who are experts in the law. Apparently, they're not experts in the law, are they, though? Because Jesus came and rebuked all of them. Mind you, the stone in Judaism, read what it says. The stone in Judaism represents Abraham, David, and or the Messiah. The entire thing of Judaism is waiting for their Messiah. They leave it, I think it's called the, ta- the seat at the cedar, or at the table or whatever, when they do their big feasts, they leave one seat because that's the seat that the Messiah is going to come, right? And this is the whole thing. We're waiting for our Mosiach, our Messiah. They're still doing this shit. Well, guess what, Jews? Your Messiah already showed up. That's Jesus. That's why in the beginning of Matthew, it says, oh, oh, oh where is he is born? King of the Jews. We've seen a star in the east and come to worship him. What's the first thing that you're told in Matthew? The genealogy of Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ. Here the Jews are saying the stone represents Abraham, David, and then our Messiah. Oh, wait, shit. Our Messiah has already came, and that's Lord Jesus Christ, and you've rejected him to today. Till today. Psalms 118.8, or 118.22. Um, uh, Open to me the gates of righteousness. Uh, this is, I'm sorry, this is uh, 118.19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. By the way, 118 is the, the, Psalms 118 is the middle verse of the Bible. It's the middle chapter of the Bible. Psalms 118 to 119, those are the middle chapters of the Bible. So that's important there, so... Uh, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. Do you think the people that were owning the vineyard are righteous? That, re- that rejected the stone? I will praise thee. 
For thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. All about salvation. This is all about salvation. Entering into the gates, going to the pearly gates, salvation. Then it says this, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. So in other words, they're saying it again. The builders are the scribes. They were writing down, scribbling out that law that they thought the traditions of men, this will lead us to salvation. We're just waiting for a Messiah. Then he shows up and you reject him. Then it says this, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It's a, it's a, it's a pronouncement. Yes, this is marvelous in our eyes. This is the Lord. This is salvation. How could it not be marvelous? Then what, what does the New Testament do? Read this. This is people thinking this is a grammatical error. No. This was the Lord's doing, comma, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Question mark? Why is there a question mark there? That's not a question. This was the Lord's doing, comma. I can do basic grammar. And it is marvelous in our eyes. What, what is it asking? Why is there a question mark there, guys? Well, you have to, you have to insert yourself into the book. You have to put yourself into the book. What's it asking? It's asking you, is it marvelous in your eyes? Do you see this and is it marvelous? Do you understand it? Do you hear the word? Do you see the truth? Are you in way and in alignment with what's going on? Are you rejecting the stone or are you accepting and welcoming the stone? This is what, and it, there's a question mark here too. So that doesn't even make any, that's, that's an incorrect as far as basic English grammar is concerned, that is a sentence that if you wrote that in a freaking college paper or something like that, the professor would be like, well, there's no question about it. Wrong, you know, kind of thing. No, absolutely intentional. It's with a single question mark. It's asking you, the reader, is the Lord marvelous in your eyes? Is salvation marvelous in your eyes? So, after this whole thing, after Jesus gives the parable, <laughs> and then what happens? And so he gives the parable, and then they sought to lay hold on, on him, but they feared the people. They would have killed him, but then they feared the, the people because the people knew that Jesus and John and they, all that whole group there, they were pretty special people. They were sacred. They were saints. They were prophets. They still wanted to kill him. They still wanted to kill him. They're like, ah. Yeah, you called our shit out. For they knew, uh, so they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. They didn't go the way. They went their way. They didn't go the way, the truth, and the life, did they? Nope. Then what did they do? Just to go to show that Jesus' parable was spot on, even till today. It's almost like the Bible is a timeless book. Then what happens? And then they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. So after they left, think about this. What a bunch of dickbags. After they left, they're like, oh, they spoke the parable against us. We're obviously pieces of human excrescence. We'll go, we'll go talk to these other Pharisees and Herodians and we'll send them to catch him. Who are the Herodians? King Herod was the guy that when, G, when, when Herod heard that Jesus was the Messiah, was their Messiah, the king of the Jews. He's like, kill all the children under the age of two. So the people that were, we already know who the scribes are. We already know who the Pharisees are. And we've covered the Herodians before, but a little review. Who are the Herodians? A bunch of people that followed a murderous, psychopathic king. 
So they sent those guys to try to check, try to trick Jesus, right? Is you're gonna hear this at your local church anywhere, like literally anywhere? This story right here, by the way, it ain't, it ain't that cryptic. I mean, he's pretty much just coming out and saying it if you understand the basics of the symbolism here. Okay? This is anti-Semitic. And they send unto him a certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Ooh, like lawyer tricks, right? Isn't that exactly what it, what it's all about? To catch, oh, we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to manipulate and twist his words. And then therefore, we're going to claim he did something that he didn't do. Then, he, then they go on to say this. Um, did I miss a super chat here? Sorry. Oh, yes. Spooky. Isaiah 43 details Israel's curse. Isaiah 44 prophesizes our redemption. Yehuda, what is that? Became the curse so you could be blessed just like the son of man. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other thing that you, you realize that people, uh, oh, I don't want to get into that, but you know, Jesus throughout this whole thing is looking at the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, these Jews, and being like, you didn't follow the law, the actual law at all. None of you. You're, he's saying it so much that he's going to say that the entire tradition of Judaism, albeit you know, through the symbolism of the fig tree, is cursed forevermore. I totes, I totes my goats agree, Jesus. So, so they sent some Pharisees and some scry, or Pharisees and Herodians to try to catch him in his words. Ah, oh, we wanted to lay hold on him, kill him. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that, that thou art are true. So these are the Herodians and the Pharisees that are asking him this question. The, the question that they're about to ask, and it's a very famous one. So, they're saying, Master, we know that thou art true. Which, are they lying? If they know they're, they're if, he's, if they are true, if they know it, then why would they try to catch him in his words? Because they're piles of crap. Because they're scumbags. They're the scum of the earth. That's why. Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. What does that mean? It means you don't care for the opinions of men. You're not going to men and their vain traditions and their opinions. And I've got some ideas of what this means. He goes to God. He doesn't look to men. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. So they're saying, we know that you don't listen to men. We know that you listen, you listen to truth. Meanwhile, we're still going to try to manipulate you and try to you know, twist your words. Then they ask this. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? And Jesus, but he, knowing their hypocrisy, he knew they were a bunch of hypocrites and liars. He knew that they were working for Father Time. He knew that they were a bunch of thieves. He knew exactly what these people were. He knew that that question was there to manipulate him. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Why tempt ye me? Why are you tempting me, you satanic worshipers? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And of course, then he brings, and they brought the penny to him, and he, and he saith unto them, 
This is, this is Jesus answering in a riddle. This is him being unbelievably sly with his words. Yeah, master projectionist. That's it's totally true. Exactly. Absolutely being good. Like, this is him being like, I know you're a bunch of skeezy, you know, shitbag lawyers. Pardon for all my, pardon for my cursing this morning. But I, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of thing, you know, you sometimes it just, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? Um, <clears throat> he knew that they were a bunch of hypocrites, liars. So he was going to answer in a way that wouldn't give them the answer that they wanted. And that's what this answer is. And the answer is this. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. He, they wanted to catch him. These hypocrites, these liars, wanted to catch him in his words. Like, hey, should we give tribute to Caesar? Master, we know you're true. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Should we give or should we not give? And this is his response. Render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What is he saying there? Okay, here's the question. What does Caesar own? I heard somebody, um, which by the way, I'm just going to give some shit here, but I heard a pretty popular comedian say that he doesn't pay taxes because, or he pays taxes because he renders onto Caesar's what is Caesar's. So there's a popular comedian out there, I'm not going to say his name anymore, popular comedian out there that is not paying taxes because he's, he renders onto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and that's his excuse. He pays taxes, excuse me, he pays taxes. So he can render onto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and that's his excuse. What, who, what does Caesar own? What is Jesus doing here? He's batting the question right back. What does Caesar own? Exactly, what are Caesar's things? What does Caesar own? This, this psychopathic, megalomaniacal, dictator, tyrant, piece of human express in Caesar. What does he actually own? What's the answer? Jack all. Nothing. What do you, what do you have to give to Caesar? Abso-freaking-lutely nothing. Caesar doesn't own, have jurisdiction over anything. This is why he's responding to the, the way that he is. He's responding them to the way, the way he is because he knows that they're trying to trick him and he knows the truth. Well, what is in, let's, let's ask this. What's in, what's, in, um, what's in Caesar's jurisdiction? Well, let's go back to our old one. You know, we, we did this when we looked at Paul being a prisoner, prisoner of the Lord, right? Let's look at this. Let's see. Um, what's, let's see, all those little co-centric circles that are all fictional, legal fictions. The U.S., U.S. Corporation, the Caesar State, the Caesar Bureau, and the Caesar this, and the Caesar City, and the Caesar... Who, is, is any of that actually Caesar's? No. Nope. Whose jurisdiction, who does, what does, uh, how do I ask this? Or what do I say, how do I say this? Who does Jesus have to pay to? Caesar or God Almighty? Whose jurisdiction is, are you in? Whose jurisdiction was Jesus in? Whose jurisdiction is everybody in? God's. So who do you have to owe to? Caesar? No. So this question here, so by the way, so when they say, oh, 
I pay taxes because I render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. You wuss. You don't know shit to Caesar. Nothing. Caesar's just some psychopathic, megalomaniacal, maniacal, brain-twisted, lack-of-heart, piece-of-shit king that's coming along. I own you now. You have to give me, you have to get licensed in order to go to church. Render unto the Caesar, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. What do we render unto Caesar? Jack all. Nothing. C. Fenner Goldsboro said it this way. History is replete with corrupt governments, unfortunately, including our own, through the IRS, which lies to us about our tax obligation. Now you have, in our country, we have a, found, we have a, a group of devout Christians whose rebellions against a corrupt government was well-founded and ordained by God. Right? So here we have a, our, our country, which we understand is like, hey, we're, we're saying that it, Bill of Rights number one, we have the right to free speech and the right to worship God, and we're paying taxes to nobody. So who, what do we follow? Do we follow the, the corrupt governments that, you know, the IRS is, is the, I, the, the IRS is basically the, the branch of Caesar. That's what it is. So it is our responsibility through scripture to pick and choose obedience to God-centered and directed government only. Our responsibility to our government is only when our government is actually, is actually upholds the rights that God has given us. As soon as that government goes away from that, that government is defunct. Because they're claiming jurisdiction, they're claiming that they're Caesar when it's actually God's. They're, they're coming along saying, oh, you owe us because of Caesar. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Why did Jesus say that? Because you owe jack shit to Caesar. We live in Caesar's, we're in Caesar's enslavement right now, guys. You, me, everyone I know. Why? Because we accept a government that's, that's run by Satan worshipers as opposed to a government that glorifies the almighty God. Accepting slavery is a transgression against God's commandments. You're rendering unto Caesar your entire life. Want to get married? Get a license. Want to go fishing? Get a license. You want to go hunting? Get a license. You want to drive your car to the hunting place where you can go and shoot the rabbit? You're going to have a license for that. You want to, you want to make a building? You're going to need a permit. You want to fire? You're going to need a burn permit. You want to travel? You're going to get a license. You want to open a business? You're going to get a license. Hey, you want to sell eggs? You want to sell your farm fresh eggs? You're going to need a license for that. Oh, we want to process our rabbit meat and just sell it at the local store. You're going to need to pay Caesar. We're going to sell food. You're going to sell food to another human being so that they can nourish themselves. You're going to have to pay Caesar first, aren't you? Oh, you want to own land? Not until you pay Caesar. You want to work? You're going to be taxed for that because you owe Caesar. Firearms? Well, you got to get your approval. Benjamin Balderson. I'll give Caesar's what's his. I'm, I'm assuming you mean this. I'm assuming coming from Balderson, giving Caesar what is Caesar's is one of these. It's one of these. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So if somebody comes along and is like, well, I pay taxes, going to render unto Caesar. What's Caesar's? You're a pansy. 
let's move on to other scripture. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine that. The Pharisees tried to trick Jesus when they asked him in verse 17 whether it was lawful to give tribute to Caesar. Being aware of their motives, Jesus answered, being aware that they were hypocrites, Jesus answered, says, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Is there a place in the earth that God didn't make? Is there a place, is there like some special like jurisdiction that God didn't make the land and has is the air and the... Nope, it's all his. The same directive can be found in Mark 12. So by his response, by Jesus' response, our Lord explained that even though Caesar may well have thought he was God and therefore deserved 100% of tribute or taxes, our Lord explains that this was not true and that the distinction between Caesar and God must be acknowledged. The, the distinction between what is owed to Caesar and what is owed to God was specifically explained by Jesus in Matthew 17. Uh, verses 25 and 26, after Jesus asked Peter, Of whom do the kings of earth take custom or tribute? Of their children or of strangers? And when Peter answered him in verse 26, Of strangers, Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free? We can correctly interpret these verses in today's language in Jesus' conversation with Peter and these verses as follows. Who does government tax their own, citizens or foreigners? And Peter answered, foreigners. And Jesus said, then the citizens are free from taxation. As devout Christians, our founding fathers acknowledged this scripture by building it into our constitution. So, render unto Caesar what is Caesar? Caesar can go half himself. It's just another psychopath, just another king that thinks that he has subjects, that you're a subject of the United States government. <sighs> so after that, after they marveled at his, his, his response, <laughs> Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. You know, Jesus was absolutely being like this and this. That's what Jesus was doing, like classic mafia shit, you know. Like you'd be wearing, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Then come unto him, uh, Mark 12, 18. Then come unto him, the Sadducees, Sadducees, Pharisees, the scribes, all of these people. The Sadducees, they say this, which say there is no resurrection. So look at this. I mean, if this does, if that, those one, two, three, four, five, six words between a couple commas says everything you need to know about the Sadducees. They don't recognize death and rebirth. They don't recognize that fundamental, you know what the Rosicrucians said? It's the most natural thing in the world, right? This alchemical magisterium moving your soul, going from the, the lower state to the higher state, getting into the salvation, death and rebirth. The Sadducees, yeah, that doesn't, that's not a thing. So what did they ask? And they asked him saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die, I'm going to go over this kind of quick because it's just this. You'll get it in just a second here. If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren and the first took a wife and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise. And the seven had her and left no seed. 
last of all the women died also. In the resurrection, therefore, so that the Sadducees are asking him, in the resurrection, when every, everybody's resurrected, which they don't believe in anyway, in the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Okay, so what is Jesus' answer? So he's basically, so let's just go over this one second. So they're saying, oh, if a man's brother dies and he's got his wife, the brother should take up his wife and raise his seed. So somebody's raising his children. Now there were seven brethren. The first took wife and dying left no seed, so there's no seed. Ultimately, it's like they're asking, it's like, well, at the end of the day, who, who are they going to marry? Who is this physical person going to marry with this other physical person? And Jesus says this. He basically says this. You don't know shit about scripture. That's basically what he says. He says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? You err. Because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know. You're erring. You don't know the power of God. Then he says this, For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. When you die and be are reborn, when you resurrect, are you a physical body? No. Do you participate in marriages? No. Right? You're not going down to the church down here. Or you're going to like drive to Vegas and do one of these like quickie marriage things or whatever. You're not doing any of that. Are you going down to the bar and having a shot of freaking blackberry brandy? No. Why? Because you're a metaphysical being now. You're united, reunited with God Almighty. There is no separation. You're with the angels, the saints, everybody that's in heaven. You're all one with God. And these Sadducees are asking, it's like, well, then what happens when you get married? You're done with that shit. You're in heaven. Then he says this, and as touching the dead, they sh- the, and that they rise. Have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying this, comma, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What is, what is Jesus saying there? He's, these Sadducees are still looking at separation. Like, well, I got to take care of this, this. Go get married over here and do... No, 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 that's all done. And then he says this, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What is he saying there? I am the light, the spark, the single scintilla or spark that's within every single human being comes from the exact same source, is of the same source, and the only thing you can possibly ever say about that, any descriptor you can say about that thing, ultimately is what? It says it's the most you can say about your entire position or experience here on earth. I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the same God of Isaac, and I am the same God of Jacob. I am within every single being. And Jesus is saying, you Sadducees don't understand that at all. You Pharisees, you scribes, none of you understand it. You, you err. You don't know the scriptures, neither the power of God. If you understood the scriptures, you would understand. You'd understand the power of God within. If you understood the power of God, you would recognize where it is. What did we just go over right before this? In the middle of this, it said what? The stone that the, the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. And where did that stone lead? Where did that cube lead? Right to you.
I am the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. I am the God of all things. There is no separation between the God that's in that dude there and the God that's in that dude there and the God that's in that dude there and the God that's within you. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye, therefore, do greatly err. Who's the dead here? You! Us! We're in the land of the dead. Why? Because we're not in the land of eternal life. That's what we seek. Earth, this great rites of passage, this play, this little labyrinth that we, that we that we're you know it's like uh, we come down here and we go through that labyrinth, we go through that process to find as dead beings, symbolically dead. Why? Because we're not united with God Almighty. We seek eternal life. What would be the opposite of eternal life? Dead. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. They're looking for God, the God in the world of the dead. They're dead. And they keep sucking on that freaking wine at the vineyard. And they keep, you know, eating the fruit from a fig tree, which doesn't have any fruit anymore. And one of the scribes, Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, once again, not reasoning with the Almighty God. They reasoned with themselves. They didn't follow in the way. They followed their way. They didn't listen to the Almighty living God. They followed the traditions of men. And one of these scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them, well, asked of him, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the most important commandment? Jesus. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. That's exactly the point that he was making when he was saying, I am the God of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. There is only one God. It's the one God that connects and unites everything. So the first thing he asked, what's the, what's the one commandment? There's one God. You guys, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Pharisees, have all separated it. They, you separated your own race and religion from everybody else, thinking that all oh, the vineyard's mine. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why should you love your neighbor as yourself? Because the same I am is in your neighbor. The same spark that's in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there is only the I am. It's the one Lord. It's the one God. This gets us to, this is not... You know, this gets us into understanding. Once again, I, I made the, the comment that when you read, you know, this this stuff correctly, right? It's more like Native American spirituality. Why is there when we talk about the one one God? Talk about the one spirit. We're gonna go over this again. Deborah Style. Stilly. Stiley. So many people live in fear that they they live their life according to the government. Caesar. Even when you tell them the truth. Absolutely. They will agree with you, but they'll still do what they're told. The devil rules by fear. Spot on. You know, spot on. <clears throat> One spirit. 
How do you know that the same God that's in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that's the same God that's in the Hindus and the Muslims and the Christians and the Jews and the agnostics and the atheists? Guess what? There is a God and there's only one and it's in within every single one of these people. And all of these Christians that are rejecting, yeah, these faiths over here, the Eastern this is, uh, you're missing the point entirely. Spirit, one spirit. Spirit comes from uh, spirit, breath, wind, person, animation, soul, mind, heart, affections, vigor, force, vitality, life, fret. All of these are um, translations or synonyms of spirit, right? So your soul, your mind, your heart, your spirit, the breath, the breath, the wind, animation, your vigor, your force, your vitality. Thank you, by the way, Deborah. We talked about this. Spirit is the animating or vital principle in man and animals. Spirit, soul, directly from Latin spiritus, a breathing. Breath, breath of God. Inspiration, breath of life. Life, breath, the air taken into or expelled from our lungs. Breath and spirit are no different. So, when we talk about one spirit, we're talking about the one breath. Okay? Do you breathe different air than I do? No. Do the Hindus breathe different air? Do the Buddhists up on the high cold mountain there, do they breathe different air? No, it's all the same air. It's all in the same encapsulation. It's all in the same dome. It's all under one canopy of the heavens. We are all breathing in the one spirit. And that's why when we say Jesus Christ is everywhere, that's not some woo-woo, mystical, symbolic, something, something, something. We're saying the very essence of the air you breathe is Christ Almighty. It's the one spirit. Joel Goldsmith said this, Illumination dissolves all material ties. When we talk about these Sadducees, they're like, oh, we're, we're trying to find some people to marry in the land of the, the dead because we're talking about still material bodies. And Jesus is like, you greatly err. We're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about metaphysical. From the Infinite Way by Joel S. Goldsmith. Illumination dissolves all material ties and binds men together with the golden chains of spiritual understanding. It acknowledges only the leadership of the Christ. It has no ritual or rule, but the divine and personal universal love. No other worship than the inner flame that is ever lit at the shrine of spirit. This union, that's what we're talking about, reunifying with God. This union is the free state of spiritual brotherhood. The only restraint is the discipline of the soul. Therefore, we know liberty without license. We are a united universe without physical limits, a divine service to God without ceremony or creed. The illumined walk without fear by grace. Right, Deborah? More growth and understanding. Fascinating sermon. Amos is very good this week, too. Thanks, Marty and Jen. God's work. Thank you, small acts. Mark 12, 32. And then we'll round this baby out. And the scribe and the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. All the all once again, just as uh, Joel Goldsmith was saying, all those rituals. We're not. It's not about the ritual, and it's not about the rite, and it's not about all of those things, right? All if you have, as he's saying, and, and Jesus is, will agree with him. 
uh, saying, oh, if you have the love in your heart and understanding your soul and the strength and no fear and to love your neighbor, that's worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices and blah, blah, blah that you do. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question. Why is he far from God? Why is he not there yet? So he answered Christ, Thunder Chicken, thank you. Thank you very much. 333, Illuminati. <clears throat> so he answered Jesus correctly, right? He's like, yeah, it's all the, the heart and love and all that other stuff, right? Um, and then Jesus is like, ah, you're almost there. You're almost there, buddy. Why is he almost there? He answered him correctly. He, he was right, look, there's one God. There's none other than that. I love my heart, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is like, you're almost there. Why? Why did he say you're almost there? Read the one word there. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. You got everything right. But, you get, but you're not there. Why? Because you were discreet about it. Think about it. Jesus is going across the land to Gentiles and Jews, teaching the truth, going into synagogues on the day he's not supposed to, turning over money tables, not giving two hoots about what anybody thinks, anybody says. All he's doing is following the laws of God and doing what's right. Good, just, true, and right, what's moral in his heart. This guy is like, I'm going to do all those things, but I'm going to kind of keep quiet about it because I don't, I don't want to disturb any of these other Jews here. Don't be discreet about it. Go to the high, the high place, the high mountaintop, and let your light shine before all men. That's why. You're almost there. You're almost there, but you're not. And Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? David therefore himself called him the Lord, and whence is he then this his son? And the common herd, common people heard him gladly. Basically, he's saying, "I am from that lineage. I am from that is my genealogy." And he said unto them in his doctrine, "Beware of the scribes." <clears throat> this is exactly what we're talking about. And he said unto them in his doctrine, "Beware of the scribes, which love to go into long clothing and law and love salutations in the marketplaces. They like to go into the marketplaces and show their little yarmulkes and their long robes and and you know do these long salutations so everybody can see that they're a man of God, allegedly. And the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at the feasts, the chief seats of the synagogues, the gold-plated chair, and they're sitting on this like red carpet rolled out for them, and they were, you know, all the finest foods and fancy dancy shit is given to them. Do you think it means anything? And then there's a the colon there, and then it says, These people which devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. All these people that were going out and, and, and doing religious or spiritual work so they could be like, oh, look how awesome I am. I'm the guy that's got this, you know, you follow me. Look, at, I've got the long, I've got the long uh, clothing and my love salutations. I go into the marketplaces and I sit in the chief seats. They're going to receive the greater damnation. Because, why? Because they didn't have it in here. They didn't have it in their heart. They were doing things for show. 
And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were cast, uh, many that were rich cast in much. So he goes over to the treasury and he sees all these people and um, they're casting all this money into the treasury because they're tra essentially trying to pay for their salvation. They're like, look how much money I'm giving Jesus. Look, I've got, I've got $1 million in my bank account and I gave $100,000. Look, that's going to get me into heaven, right? Then, Mark 12, 42, and there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Not much, in other words. Mite is, you know, mites, you know what mites are, right? Like actual, they're like super small. A mite and a farling is not much. Not much. And then Jesus saw this. I saw the poor widow. She didn't have shit. She's a widow, which by the way, she's probably, she probably didn't have any money because of these people that, which devour widows' houses and for a pretense, pretense make long prayers. She probably had her house devoured by a bunch of Jews. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called the disciples. He saw this. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Here you have a bunch of rich, um, rich people going into the treasury. They're making the long prayers, and they're in the, you know, they're in the chief seats and stuff like that. And they're just showing Look at this. Look what I'm doing, God. I'm giving all that money. Did they give anything in here, though? Did, did they mean any of it? Or was it all for show? Were they trying to pay their way into heaven? All of that money meant nothing to God. And you know what meant it? What, what it was like who was in Jesus's good graces? The widow that came was like, I don't have much. But I'm going to give and be genuine with my giving. I'm giving because I actually want to give. Because I actually love the Lord with my whole heart. Verily I say unto you, this poor widow here hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Two little mites. Billions of dollars went to the treasury from all those Pharisees and scribes. And Jesus is like, who gives a hoot? For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. She put her whole life in the Lord. And that means more to God Almighty than billions of dollars going into a treasury with a bunch of people that don't actually mean it. And that's that. Um, all right. Thank you all for uh, joining me today. Ooh, what we got here? Patriot Astrologer. Great sermon today. Thank you so much. Thank you for the, the live stream, the chats and everything like that. Thank you for the... I appreciate that. Great sermon. Yes. Next week, I'm sure we're, we're just going to jump into 13, but 13 is pretty... I think it's kind of short, so I don't know. I guess we'll see. Um, I definitely... We're going to finish Mark now. I mean, we're freaking what... 12 chapters. There's only four more chapters. So, um, so yeah, let's do that. Let's just finish Mark. I'm not sure if we'll do it in, in a row, but 
All right, that's going to do it for me, guys. Thank you so much. If you get a chance, I have because we've been so busy, we're going to try to catch up uh, hopefully tonight or tomorrow. Uh, Amor's got like, a, I think, three or four new. Thank you, Ben Krupa. Thank you. Thank you very much. B, what's happening? Uh, he's got like four new videos, three or four new videos, and we haven't had a chance just because we were traveling and busy and then we were working outside the last two days because we had nice weather and everything like that. So we're going to try to catch up with Amor um, tonight or tomorrow, something like that. Lindsay Chapman, thank you. So if you get a chance, stop on over to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. He's actually doing a, um, a documentary too that I think Jennifer and I are going to be a part of. And I think he's going to come over, I think next week or something like that, I want to say. And so we'll, we'll do a chat when he gets over here. We'll do a live show and everything like that since we have internet now. So he's putting together a documentary called B becoming nobody i think is what it's called i think that's the official title so looking forward to that but he's got a couple new videos so go uh check him out gnostic revelation mysteries if you do get a chance and like to support the work you can become a member at the gnostic academy uh become a member for five bucks a month 14 quarterly or 54 for the year i really appreciate anybody that signs up that gives a donation that buys a book or uh, uh you know gifts a book things like that I really appreciate that. This that's how it keeps us going, and so uh, I'm I'm going by the your guys's you know grace of God and your uh, your help. So that's how we do it. So go to gnosticacademy.org. You can become a member. Five bucks a month, fourteen quarterly, or fifty four for the year. Okay, and um, that's going to do it. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May His grace be with you all. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to listen to my um, bud from up north there uh, in the great state of Canada, uh, Greg, Mr. Greg Arcade, just released a song called The Ballad of James Top. And James Top is a guy that has been walking. James Top, Terminator Top, has been walking across Canada <clears throat> since I don't know how many months now um, in protest for, you know, you know, communism, that whole thing. And none of the news media have covered him. You know, no, nobody gave two shits about this old vet, and he's literally walking. He walked across the uh, the Canadian Rockies during the winter. <laughs> so this guy's walking literally across Canada to Ottawa in protest for everything that happened, the vaccine mandates, the government going, you know, completely out of control. And I think until now, until basically pressure from the Canadian citizens, I think there's like three or four, I want to say, government-run tells you everything you need to know uh news news organizations up in canada and not one of these news organizations reported on this guy at all so james top terminator top still marching across canada the news didn't give two shits and so my friend uh mr greg arcade wrote a song called ballad of james top now if james top would have been the first like black lesbian trans person to walk across Canada, you would guarantee that every news organization would be on and be like, oh my God, this is just the first and we have to go, you know, <laughs> ceremonies and celebrations and we have to do all this stuff, right? But no, it's just some white dude that's just think, hey, government's fucking corrupt. No, we don't want to report on that. So anyway, that's what this song is about. So if you get a chance, stop on over to Greg Arcade.com. He's got a bunch of original music. He's put, he's making a, um, a cover record too. And so if you like the music, you can download, you can throw them some cash, that sort of thing. So 
All right, we will see you next week. Yeah, bless him is right. It's, it's so great. Um, James Top, not not Greg Arcade. Greg Arcade, you, you, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, bless, bless all of them. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's so cool. It's so cool. Um, so anyway, next weekend or next Sunday we'll do, I'm thinking Mark 13. Okay. And I'm also going to do hopefully a video this week. I was, I was kind of putting together the 20 things I learned from living off grid, something like that. Um, so we'll do that. So, all right, check them out, gregarcade.com and I will see you guys next Sunday. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Lies. The real ones knew that something wasn't right The country turned blue, suffocated and closed its eyes Then the people all rallied in the capital town Politicians paid the cops to shut them all down But one man knew he had to do what he could to rise Yeah, he knows where he's headed and he's coming to talk Walk till he gets to the top So he tied up his boots Now he's rucking down a auto Way 700 miles on a five-month walk Y'all flag-waving patriots Litter in the side of the road And the Canadian media Tried to ignore it The politicians paid him off To publish some bullshit The cops and the media And government will reap what they sold Bye.